Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Elizabeth Rocha sharing her two birth stories, the first being one that she reflects made her feel not like herself and voiceless, the second being unexpected, but as she describes in the best way possible. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Hi. That intro just made me so emotional right off the bat. I think just hearing it. um, Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are incredibly grateful. Um, Let's start off with, tell us about yourself and your family. Yeah. So I live with my husband, Jose Luis. Um, We live in the greater Los Angeles area, specifically within Long Beach. We just say LA because it's, there's just, LA is so big. Um, We have two daughters. Our oldest is Luisa and she's two and a half years old. And our youngest is just three and a half months old. Um, So we're trying to get used to being a family of four. Um, My husband's an engineer. And when I'm not on maternity leave, I work for a private foundation in the philanthropy space. Finding your rhythm as four. Y'all fresh. Y'all are fresh in it. Three months. Yeah. It's fresh. Very, very. <laughs> Still yes. navigating, trying to figure out how we're going to do the targets, the Costco. Um, so sometimes a grocery trip turns into it. We are just there for five minutes and then we just go right back to the car and figure it today is not the day. <laughs> and there's grace in that. You know, I think a lot of times people show up and are really stuck on getting it done <laughs> whenever they thought they were going to do it. And then it's like, it's okay to start over another day, another time. Yeah. Yep. So let's start talking about these pregnancies. What about you going to start with your oldest or do you want to go? Which order do you want to go? I think with my oldest. Okay. Um, yeah. So my husband and I, we got married in April of 2019. And at first we thought we might wait a few years Um, before we start having kids, because at the time I had just finished grad school, he had already finished. I was starting to work. We're like, you know, want to do the whole buying the house and then have the kids because we were living with my mother-in-law. But we had had a couple of friends who had had some fertility issues. And I think that really just encouraged us to, you know, try while we can, because sometimes when you want to, your body might say like, now it's not the time. Um, And we'd also, we're also high school sweethearts. So we've been together 12 years. So it's like, what else do you need to learn about each other after being together for 12 years? Um, So we kind of tried that first month. I think it was just a draw, but then I finally started tracking my cycle and it was right away. And people always say that, um, you know, didn't think we thought it might take a summer, a fall, but it it was right away. Um, So we were immediately excited. And I think I this pregnancy, I would say, was pretty easy. And I hate saying that because I know a lot of people really struggle with some, you know, nausea, fatigue. And I think for me, I just felt some initial fatigue. But then after that, I never felt nauseous. I was pretty like, I think people would describe me as a very like happy, energized, pregnant person. Um, I ate pretty well. I exercised a lot. And I really enjoyed exercise during pregnancy because I think the expectation is just to move your body. And so I'd never had that kind of relationship with exercise before in terms of like there is no goal with how you want to look. It literally is just move your body and like that's it. You get a gold star just for doing it that day. So I really enjoyed that. Um, And I think with this pregnancy, I beforehand, I really feared birth. 
And I thought I'm going to, for sure, I'm going to, I was that person that's like, I'm going to get an epidural right away. I don't want to feel the pain. But I think for me, that really stemmed from not really educating myself, not knowing what birth was. And the more that I learned about it, either through like YouTube, I think there's a lot of really good Instagram accounts too. It sort of led me down the path of wanting to try. And I want to say try at this point for an unmedicated birth, because I feel like at that point, I didn't really think I could do it. It was almost like, I'm just going to try. Um, so I took, you know, Lamaze classes. I also did some prenatal yoga through like a group on, which ended up being really great to try to prepare me for that. Um, it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy. Nothing really came up. I think the only thing was that right when they start taking your fundal height, um, my fundal height always measured smaller than what it was. So the doctor was concerned with intrauterine growth restriction. And I did get additional um, testing. So I got an anatomy scan and I think they projected that my baby would be five pounds, if that. And I wish I would have known then what I know now is um, I'm a pretty petite person. I'm like five one on a good day. So it just made sense that my body wasn't going to make a big baby or like I might not have a big bump and people didn't know it at the time, but people around me would come in like, oh, your bump is so small. And inside it would just made me so frustrated because I was, they didn't know that I was doing this extra testing and I was already so worried about, you know, having a small baby, not growing enough. I think at the time I also had, um, I worked in downtown LA, so I had about a three hour commute round trip. Um, I was in a pretty stressful job, but at some point I was the only support person for my team, you know, skipping over lunches, meeting, we would run long. So I was just really stressed at work. And I definitely felt like I, people around me would say, oh, it doesn't even seem like you're pregnant, but I think it's because I felt like I couldn't be pregnant because I was just so on the go um, and working. And so I thought I was going to work up to about 38 weeks, but at my 37 week appointment, I went to the I went to my doctor and actually my provider wasn't there. Someone else ended up seeing me when I was a nurse practitioner. And, you know, we had to get some tests done. And she said, you know, you haven't been gaining weight. Um, you need to stop working. Are you still working? And I said, yeah, I'm going to work until next week. And she said, no. She said, you need to slow down. You need to eat. You need to rest. You need to call your job today. And you need to go on maternity leave. And I think I was just shocked. Um, cause I mean, there was no transition plan. Um, but I was also, I think in a workspace that was not going to ease my workload. It was almost like, let's see how much you can get done before you go on maternity leave. And I think at first idea, I mean, I did call my job and I told them I'm not coming in. It was a little daunting, but I think it was looking back the best thing ever, because otherwise I don't think I would have, um, had so much time to just rest, just chill. And that's what I did. Um, I remember I went on hikes, I went to the beach, I was walking at the beach, I was just eating, napping, and just like living my best pregnant life and just gaining weight. Um, but I think also because of that um, suspected intrauterine growth restriction, I ended up getting weekly non-stress tests as well. Um, and I think they came at a good time because I'm definitely someone who has a little bit of anxiety. And it was also right before the pandemic. So I went on maternity leave and the following week, that's when school started closing. And that's also at the time where if you had a fairly low risk pregnancy, they weren't doing the weekly um, appointments with your OB at the time. Um, so I think it was a little bit of a comfort to me that I was still going into um, going in somewhere and they were sort of checking me out so I can see my baby because there's nothing like the peace 
of seeing your baby move, especially when you have doctors telling you that, you know, your baby might be small. Um, which again, at the time, I wish I would have known that that's just huge variation um, in babies and bump sizes. And so when the pandemic, um, all that started happening, I think even there was even a point where we couldn't even go to parks. I think they were telling everyone to like, just stay home. Um, and you started hearing stories about people giving birth by themselves. I think I sort of started going back into that fearful place. I'd spent like my pregnancy sort of getting confident, making sure my body was strong, eating the right foods. And then the pandemic happened and we weren't even sure if my husband was gonna be able to come with me. And so I tried to sort of build a bubble around me and try to control what I could. But I definitely felt that like fear factor growing in the background, um, especially with the pandemic. And, you know, you would just see like the people on the ventilators or the respirators. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to go into a hospital to have my baby. Like it just didn't feel safe. And it felt like a lot of unknown. Um, so that's how my pregnancy went that first time. When you talk about there being this idea of moving forward with having a baby because of concerns about infertility. Uh, we've heard that before, you know, on different, for different storytellers, having a similar thought process. Um, is there any history in your family with infertility or is it just something that you were just, like you said, just like some friends you knew that had challenges? Um, there isn't. I mean, my mom had, I have six siblings, so I come from a large family and she had her last child when she was um, 40 years old. So there isn't. And I also have like, I think like 10 or 11 nieces and nephews at their point at this point. But I think it's also a discussion that I've had with some of my girlfriends of this feeling like for whatever reason, we feel like before we're able to get pregnant, like we might be the one in our families to be infertile. So I don't also don't know what it is. Um, it's something, like I said, it's a conversation that I've had with girlfriends who feel, who feel very similarly. Um, and it just, and it, yeah, I, I don't even know where that comes from, but it's just, I think as people, we just absorb the experiences that are around us, whether they're good or bad. And it really affects, especially when it comes to pregnancy and like children, what you decide and like, Yeah. It also makes me think about, and this is a whole nother podcast topic, but it does make <laughs> me think about something we've mentioned before, especially um, with our generation about like the education we got around our bodies. And it was very much like, don't have sex or you're going to get pregnant. But there was no actual conversation about like, what do your bodies do? How does ovulation work? Like how do, how do all the mechanics work? So I feel like mm -hmm. also just not actually knowing um, yeah. how it all comes together, like a deep understanding of our bodies about mm -hmm. like, yeah, during this window, yes, I can get pregnant. Right. Um, so then there is, then we are more likely to then, like you said, absorb the energies around us to be like, well, you know, I, I don't understand everything about it, but I've heard a couple of people have had that experience. So that might be me. Um, yeah. that's kind of where my brain thinks yeah. about it. And it's interesting, that's a whole that you, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, you actually made me remember that after we got back from our honeymoon, I actually had made an appointment with my OB to let her know like, Hey, like I want to get pregnant. Like, what should I do? And she almost looked at me like, why are you here? Like you're, you know, I think at the time I was like 20, 29 years old and she's like, just take prenatal pills. And that, and she kind of just sent us on our way. Like she didn't really give this discussion of 
it'll, you know, you can get pregnant during this winter or any of that. It was almost like, what are you doing here? Um, she was just said, you know, if you're having problems for 12 months, then you come see me. Um, and so I was like, I guess we're ready to go. Like <laughs> discussion of like, what's your health history around your reproductive system? Like what is what are things right. don't it's a whole it's a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> there's more to just be like just take your prenatals. Like right. you left out some things. <laughs> like take some prenatals. If you don't get pregnant, come see me in a year. <laughs> Cause that's when we can say it's yeah. infertility. And then I'll give you another pill, right? <laughs> like, can you at least say, hey, this is the fertile window? Like, do you have a regular cycle? Like, these are questions that are simple enough, especially in a, a basic appointment. And the fact that you went there specifically for that is even more like you could have gave me that 15 minutes that you know that you had marked from my, maybe from my appointment yeah. and actually used it to, I'm asking you, you know, I'm asking you yeah. to help me. And I still that. had to pay my $20 copay for that information. <laughs> I could have just Googled. I could have Googled. <laughs> Google would have done you better. Google would have did better yeah. than that. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Just. Um, well, I, and before I, I ask the next question, I really liked the way you put about um, movement with the body. And I and it made me think about, too, like when we when we are active with our body, I do feel like for many people, there's like a goal behind it. Right. Like I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to gain muscle or like I'm trying to be fit. But it was so beautiful how you put it like with with being pregnant, it was to move my body, to give my body um, just movement, which we all need um, and which is good for us overall. But I really do like how that was phrased, just like thinking about it in that way and how that can for some people be a great start of continuing on like moving your body. Um, and there's just so much that comes up when we are pregnant that we learn about our bodies and that we provide to our bodies that I wish we had the space and the ability to continue with after we're not pregnant anymore. Um, but I do like, I loved how you put that. No, and I was going to say, and it's interesting because during pregnancy, if like something hurts, like for instance, um, I really struggle with lunges. I remember I went to a physical therapist and she said, if they hurt, don't do them. And I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, but I'm more likely to do that when I'm pregnant versus when I'm not. Um, right. Yes, there's this whole other listening mechanism that um, we can we should continue to tap into. Um, what were you all doing to prepare for birth, um, especially um, as COVID was? We were like in the thick of it at that time. What did your preparation for birth look like? Yeah, I think for us, COVID really. Um, thankfully, it started like already towards the tail end. So you know, I had the whole like baby shower and all of that. We had taken, um, like I said, I was on YouTube listening to like, I think Nurzab built to birth and just really learning about um, even the process of like what giving birth is like, um, you know, mucus plug, like all that kind of stuff. Um, we did take a Lamaze class through the hospital, which I think it was actually a pretty good class um, that me and my husband took over a weekend. And so I think it was helpful. The only thing is that, um, we didn't practice and the instructor was like, you know, you have to practice so that when labor starts, it just becomes instinct and you do it. And we didn't. Um, and I think at that time, I also started talking to the people around me and was kind of interested in hearing like their births or people would see me pregnant. And they would just like share their births with me. But I often found that it was um, 
either like really scary or like really traumatic. And I would sort of tell them, oh, you know, I really would want to do it on Medicaid. And they'd be like, oh, just you wait until you like feel those contractions until you're at six centimeters, seven centimeters, you're going to want that epidural right away. And I don't think it was, that's not what I was looking for. I think no feedback would have been better and just been like, okay, like that's what you're going to do. Um, I had been wanting encouragement, but I feel like it's the only time when people almost like try to convince you out of a decision that you'd like to make or something that you'd like to do. Like, you know, if you're telling people like, hey, I'm going to interview for this job and they start telling you about how they interviewed for a job and they didn't get it. I, I think that'd be, that'd come kind of up. It's interesting that when you're pregnant, people can tell you like all these horrible things about your choices and somehow that's okay. Um, so we took the birth classes. Um, I think that was the majority of how we prepped. And we also did do prenatal yoga together, which was really cool. Um, and I remember my husband, he's like, I can touch my toes now. Like it was just a really good time um, that we spent sort of planning and dreaming together about our baby, imagining what they were going to look like. Um, and and we still think about that prenatal yoga. I think if it's something that's available in your area, especially as couples, I highly recommend it because, um, you know, we spent most of our days commuting at that time. And it just we didn't spend a lot of time together doing something that wasn't related to like going to work or, you know, talking about financial goals or anything like that. So it was kind of nice. Let's talk about your birth. Yeah. So I I think the last prenatal appointment that I had, like I was zero centimeters dilated, like nothing effaced. And I think through the education that I had done, I had it in my mind, I'm just going to be pregnant till I'm 42 weeks. Um, but even then my provider, for whatever reason, she's like, no, we're just going to schedule an induction for like 41 weeks, I think. Um, so I was just like, I'm going to be pregnant forever. And so my due date was supposed to be March 25th of 2020. And I remember that day I I had lost my mucus plug over the weekend, but from the Lamaze class, she said, you know, losing your mucus plug can either mean something or it can be nothing because your body will just make more of it to replace it. And so I remember that day I just took a long nap um, and I really didn't think anything of it until the next day at 1 a.m. I kind of just woke up out of bed. And I think that's when I felt my first contraction. And I ended up going, we had like a Jack and Jill situation with the nursery. So I ended up going into that room because I could not, not do anything about it. Um, I'm not someone that's good at like ignoring things that are happening because even though I had remembered to like all the YouTubes, all the education, they're like, you need to go to sleep. You need to rest. I was just like, nah, like that's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. So I was just up timing contractions. I remember I was watching like RuPaul's Drag Race, like all through the night, um, just working through these like be like small um, contractions. And that day I actually had a non-stress test scheduled. So I showed up to that. I had called my doctor. She said, oh, you know, just stay at home for as long as you can. And so I kind of was just laboring at home and my body actually had given me a break, but I didn't listen to it because um, the contractions had kind of gone away. And I did try to be in bed until I just couldn't because it was just too uncomfortable um, too painful. I know that some for some people saying things like pressure really helps them, but for me, I like to call it what it is, and it was pain. It was painful, um, and I, for me, that helps me like actually deal with it. I know people have different ways. Um, I think eventually, what I ended up doing was um, getting on a yoga mat, and I was just on all fours, just 
I want to say I was trying to breathe through the contractions, but looking back, I know that I wasn't. It was almost like I, you know, because they are in this pattern, I could predict that the next one was coming up. So I would just really just like tense up and just kind of like grip my teeth knowing that it was coming. And I remember I was actually, I think I got through like Beachella because they had just released it when Beyonce was performing at Coachella. And so like in between breaks, like that's what I was watching. Um, and I think my husband was just trying to finish up his work day on the bed. And I remember kind of being a little bit annoyed at that because here I was going through this like really painful thing. And, you know, he would come and he would offer some things, but it just felt like we were in the same room, but he was doing something separate. Um, and it got to a point where I told him, I think, you know, I think we need to go to the hospital. And we had already packed our bags weeks ago and we headed to the hospital. And it's true, like the hospital ride um, when you're ha when you're in active labor is probably like the worst, um, just like the absolute worst. And so we went in, we um, and at that time, I think they hadn't yet set up the desk that they do when you go to the hospital because of COVID. We weren't even wearing masks, I think. That's how early on in the pandemic this was. I didn't even get tested for COVID, which now they do. Um, and I just remember feeling like everything was cold and gray and dark. Um, it just felt really scary. I definitely had like a deer in the headlights moment with the smells. And I just felt really overwhelmed by the environment. And so when I got in there, I probably think I was in probably in transition because I almost felt like I just couldn't keep up with the contractions um, and the nurse. And I had had like a really um, extensive birth plan where I had said, you know, like, don't offer me medications. Um, I had a plan with my husband. If I do ask for the epidural, we're going to try to walk around the hallways. But it was COVID, so we couldn't walk the hallways. You were just restricted to your room. Um, and he had gone to sort of get the things out of the car. And I don't think I was in the hospital that long until I said I wanted an epidural. But it's also because the nurse was like, you know, if you want an epidural, you need to get it now. Otherwise, anesthesiologist might not be available. And I remember now just from hearing all these birth stories that that's really common language that they say. And I almost feel like it's like a scare tactic. Um, and so I got the epidural. Um, and I think I was six or seven centimeters. And one of the reasons why I also didn't want to epidural is because I have a pretty big fear of needles. Like I'm the kind of person that when they're drawing blood, I look away. And typically the phlebotomist is say like, are you okay? And sometimes I do um, get a little lightheaded with needles. But I mean, it wasn't, it was pretty fast. Um, and then I also remember my husband actually coming back into the room because at my hospital, they don't let your husband be there with you when you're getting the epidural. Um, I think they fear that partners might faint or something. I'm not sure what it is. I wish he would have been because it's kind of hard to be still while you're having a contraction and they're trying to put like this needle through your back that might could that could have some you know pretty scary consequences if it's not placed right. Um, but they got the epidural in. I think they also put like these boots on my legs, and I think that's probably to prevent blood clots. Um, and I was a little bit bummed that I got the epidural, but I think at that point I'd been up since 1 a.m. and this was already like 6 p.m. So it had been like 16, 15 or 16 hours. And I remember I was just in the bed and I think every now and then they'd come and turn me. I think they say like a baked potato. Um, and at some point there was, I think they did catch some dips in my daughter's heart heartbeat and they ended up putting an oxygen mask. And I don't even know I don't know why, because it seemed like when they moved me, like it was fine. 
Um, and I think this is what started my feeling of things are happening to me and I'm not asking questions. Um, they're like, here's, you know, they're just like oxygen mask. Like, I don't even remember them asking me or just not asking, which is not within, it's not who I am. I'm typically someone who asks questions. And I think I get that from my mom. Like, you know, she's the kind of person that goes with the receipt and is like, you charge me five cents. Um, but I just, I wasn't that person um, in birth. And so I was just there with my husband and then come midnight, a nurse is like, oh, you're complete. You're ready to push. And we started pushing and she's like, oh, you're having a contraction. Can you feel it? And I couldn't. And so what ended up happening is that I would actually look at the monitor to tell me that I was having a contraction because I couldn't feel my contractions. And I'd never even pressed the little button. Like my epidural was just so strong. And it's also something that I never mentioned to the nurse. Like I literally can't feel anything. Um, which I think some people might like and might want, but for me, it was really hard to feel connected to my body and try to try to push when I couldn't feel anything. Um, and so we pushed for quite some time and there was also a clock in the room and I'm someone that I don't have clocks around my house, especially not in my room. Cause I count down, you know, now I'm getting five hours of sleep, four hours of sleep, like the clock for me, like not looking at time because I had also remembered I had attended my sister's birth and I remember the doctor coming in and saying like, well, you only have three hours or else you're getting a C-section. And so in my head, it was midnight and time was passing and it was really scary. And I remember just being really exhausted. But luckily, I think the nurses and I hate that I even had to say luckily the nurses, um, you know, we were playing tug of war. They were trying to get me in different positions to try to get me to crown, but I just couldn't feel anything. And I think at some point they did end up giving me Pitocin. And again, like, I don't ever remember it being a conversation or asking about it. It's almost like a note in the back of my head. I'm like, did they just give me Pitocin? And it was just a really weird stage of trying to get this baby out, looking at the clock, feeling so exhausted. And in my head, I was like, I just give me a C-section, which is insane because it was so far from what I wanted. But that was just the headspace that I was at because I just saw the clock. Um, so finally around 3 a.m. after three hours of pushing, um, my daughter was born. And I'm always someone who likes to visualize the end. So, you know, for instance, when I graduated with my bachelor's, with my master's, like how I would feel that day. I always, that's what I envision. I did the same with my daughter. I was like, I'm going to feel this joy, this happiness, this love. But when she was born, I just felt like, thank God that's over. And it wasn't the emotion that I thought it would be. It was just like, thank God that's over. Thank God we made it. Thank God I wasn't, you know, I didn't get a C-section. It just wasn't the the feeling that I thought it would be. Um, but they placed her on my chest and um, I had mentioned delayed cord clamping in my birth plan, but I feel like delayed cord clamping, you know, maybe it was seconds. Um, but right when my daughter was born, she cried for an hour. And I think the doctors were like, you know, we'll just give you guys your golden hour. But she kept crying and they're like, you know, let's try, let's test her to see maybe she, I don't know, blood sugars or something. She ended up being fine. And that's just her personality. She's going to announce herself. She's going to say, I don't like it. And she probably didn't like didn't like being born in the hospital. It was probably too cold. Um, that's just who she is as a child even now. Um, and we latched. And at first, everyone was like, oh, it's such a great, great latch. And eventually, when we were moved into the our recovery room, um, 
breastfeeding was just painful. And I kept telling the nurses, I'm like, you know, this really hurts. Um, And my daughter never had that newborn sleep. Like she was just up. Like she didn't have that hole where she would fall asleep. Like she just was up and she just wanted to nurse. Um, So I kept telling the nurses about it. And so finally a lactation consultant came in and she just said, you know, she has a lip type, but she's fine. You can work through it. I work through it. Um, And so that's what that's what our experience was. I remember, remember, it was just mainly a struggle with establishing breastfeeding. Um, and before they sent me home, they, they, I had a breast pump, but they didn't show me how to use it. And I didn't even have like a pumping bra at home because I didn't plan that I would be pumping. I thought I was just going to be breastfeeding. Um, and yeah, that's what our experience was at the hospital. Once we were, you know, released, you go, you pick up the vitamin D, you pick up the painkillers, you pick up the stool softeners. Um, and I just remember feeling really overwhelmed. Um, I remember before they discharged, I actually started crying and they were like, oh, what's wrong? Like, you're fine. Um, everything's going to be okay. Cause my daughter hadn't passed her hearing test, but it wasn't because she hadn't passed the hearing test. She did end up passing it the second time. It was more because it dawned upon me that I'm going to have to go home with this baby. And I don't know how to take care of this baby who just like cries all the time. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for putting words to that. Um, it's, I think they're common emotions and people don't always share them because they don't want to be labeled like a bad mom or a, um, not feeling blessed or like you should be grateful that everybody's just happy and healthy kind of thing. Um, there's a lot more layers to our emotions, um, especially centered around birth. And when you talk about kind of how the interventions kind of like that cascade of interventions started for you, you just even arriving at the hospital um, as you changed your environment, I just kind of noticed the conversation is it's almost like it's a disassociation, like a gradual, like your body's not doing this. So we're going to do that. Your body's not doing this. So we're going to do that. And then slowly you're like just over your body, right? You're just kind of there yeah. and no longer part of it. You're not feeling like you're part of what's going on. And it's just like, all these things are just happening because they say that my body's not doing whatever it was at this time, it should have been doing this. And so, and that's not birth. That's not real. That's not real. That is a medical procedure and that's not birth, you know? Um, yeah. And when I got to the hospital um, and the contraction started, I feel like, yeah, running away from me, I could actually see myself having a contraction, which was really interesting. It was almost like I could see myself from above having these contractions. And I think that's when um, really like that fear just just grew and I knew I wasn't at home um, and I knew I wasn't in a safe. It didn't feel like a safe space for me. So walk us through when you got home, what was, you know, postpartum is forever. But what were those early weeks um, like for you once you got home? Um, yeah. And again, uh, ringing Danny's sentiments, like I really appreciate you sharing that truth of like, I'm about to go home with this baby and I'm unsure, but I don't know how to convey that. And I'm not sure you all are even have the time or space to give me the answers that I need to like go home and feel secure. So what was it like those first couple yeah. of weeks of postpartum? Yeah. And since it was the beginning of the pandemic, um, 
I, I think my postpartum was just really lonely, right? Because there wasn't even discussions yet of a vaccine. It was almost just like, how do you stop the spread? And so thankfully, um, as I mentioned before, I did live with my mother-in-law. Um, so, you know, we did have my mother-in-law, uh, my father-in-law, my husband, and I. Um, but that postpartum, I think the birth was hard only because it didn't play out how I had imagined. But postpartum was even harder because of breastfeeding. I never knew how big of a role breastfeeding would play into it um, because we got home and again, she was just crying and I kept trying to make it work. But every time she would latch on, my toes would just curl. Like it was just so painful. Um, and I remember that um, my sister-in-law, I, I, I think my mother-in-law might've told my sister-in-law, like the baby is crying. I think it's hungry. And I remember looking um, at my husband's phone and she had said like, you know, I dropped off formula because it just breaks my heart to know that, you know, the baby is hungry. And that just felt like such a gut punch. Because, you know, I'm the mom. How do you think it feels for me? I probably feel it a lot more than you do. Like I just birthed this baby. And I think with breastfeeding, because the birth hadn't gone as planned, it was almost like I was really just counting on breastfeeding is going to work and it's going to be beautiful and natural and easy, but it wasn't. Um, I was trying to use the breast pump and I I didn't have a, breath, a pumping bra. I didn't even know you could buy a pumping bra. So I was just like on all fours trying to pump because also early on, you can't really pump colostrum. Um, it's really more of like hand expression. Um, thankfully we did have a lactation appointment days later. So we went to the lactation appointment and, you know, she did say she has a tongue tie. So then we went to the, to the ear, nose and throat specialist because at my hospital, that's who would release that tongue tie. So we did release it, but, um, it just, it kind of still didn't work. And since she was born after the lactation appointment, we started triple feeding. So, you know, I would try to breastfeed her, but she would use, we both would end up crying really. Then I would pump, then we would bottle feed her. But before we even got to the bottle, we tried syringe, we tried um, a cup, we tried a spoon. And that went on, I would say, for like almost two months, two to three months of just triple feeding through the night. Um, which now I know that's not really supposed to be a long-term solution. That's supposed to be like maybe a few days because it is so hard. Um, so, you know, my daughter had weighted feedings. And for people who don't know what weighted feedings are, they'll typically weigh your baby beforehand. And then you'll feed them and then they'll place them on the scale to see how much milk they transfer. And so my daughter could nurse for hours, literally like not just like cluster feeding, like she could just nurse forever if we were just nursing because she wasn't transferring enough milk until finally I um, went to the lactation consultant at one of her appointments um, because my daughter was gaining weight. And so if my daughter was gaining weight, everything was fine, but I wasn't fine. You know, this isn't what I had imagined a breastfeeding relationship to be. Um, so I kind of told the lactation consultant, like, you know, this, I'm tired. This isn't working. Why aren't things getting better? Why am I still doing all these things to breastfeed? And I think also the people around me were just like, why don't you just formula feed? Um, sometimes they would say it, but sometimes they wouldn't. I think, I don't think they could understand why I wanted this relationship so much. Um, and then the lactation consultant was like, I didn't want to tell you, but I suspect that they didn't release the tongue tie properly. And if you want it to be released properly, you probably, you need to go um, outside of the insurance and just pay out of pocket um, to have your daughter's tongue tie release. And so 
I was even working with a lactation consultant in Arizona at the time, and we were doing virtual consultations, and she told me the same thing. Um, so I finally went to a pediatric dentist, and she sort of assessed her because she um, she has education in oral restrictions, and it was ended up being both a tongue and a lip tie, and I think she had a high palate, and I forget what else. Um, but once she released that, um, I remember that weekend, and I had even hired an, a third lactation consultant um, to come to my home because. Lactation appointments at a hospital, they tell you to not feed your baby two to three hours beforehand, which is really hard when you have a baby who's hungry. Um, and even just like driving out to the hospital. So anyway, so this lactation consultant told me, you know, once you get the tongue and the lip tie released, um, you know, yes, you can do the exercises that the doctor recommends, but you just need to nurse. You just need to like, you know, be in bed that weekend and just nurse your baby. That is the best exercise for the baby's mouth because the movements that they're going to be doing are a lot more functional than some of these exercises. And I think um, another thing that this third lactation consultant really helped me with was um, building just my confidence. She said, you do not have a supply issue because she's like, look at your freezer. You have bags of milk. It is not a supply issue. You just need to nurse your baby now. And so once we got that tongue and lip tie release, I actually remember it was the first time my daughter fell asleep nursing. And that had not happened before. Like I didn't even know it was possible for this child to fall asleep nursing because typically she would just be like crying and screaming. My husband would end up having to take her. It was just the most like incredible moment, I think, of that early um, newborn stage. And so ever since then, she loved breastfeeding so much that she never took a bottle, never took a pacifier, and we ended up nursing for 22 months. And I think part of the reason why we ended up nursing for that long was because it took us so long to establish it. And I think what that journey taught me was one is that I'm just like a stubborn person. Um, and I also don't want to give the illusion that if you don't try hard enough, you know, nursing won't work, but it took a lot of time. It took a lot of resources. Um, I thankfully had a pretty good maternity leave. I, it was partly paid maternity leave. So I was able to do all that. Um, and I think it's just an experience that the hospital system doesn't really prepare you for. And it requires a lot of advocating. Um, like I said, I ended up hiring two additional private lactation consultants that I paid for out of pocket. The first, second time my daughter's um, lip tie was released was also out of pocket through a pediatric dentist. Um, and I honestly think that if I would have continued down the path of just doing the triple feeding, I had already felt it within my body, just like the postpartum depression creep up. Cause I think we were, I was just remember it being so hard and just crying multiple times a day until that we were able to finally figure it out. Um, but we had a really nice, long, beautiful, nursing journey. And I'm just so glad I didn't listen to anyone. Um, and I just kept with it because yes, I could have formula fed, but I think for me, breastfeeding just, it was a lot more than that. Like, I just wanted to hold my baby, nourish my baby and just have that bond. And especially with the pandemic, um, you know, provide them with all the antibodies. So yeah, that's how my postpartum was. And I think one more thing that I want to mention about that experience is that nobody warned me about hemorrhoids. 
I thought that the birth would be the hard part, but I think six weeks, it was almost like I had delayed hemorrhoids. I couldn't even sit. And I remember calling my primary care physician and I told him like, hey, I just pushed through hours. I think it's related. And they, he straight up said no. And I'm like, how is it? I was pushing for three long hours and like hemorrhoids aren't related. Um, but I feel like that's, <laughs> but I, for me, like no one, none of my girlfriends had told me and I didn't have that many friends around me who were pregnant at the time. So I almost feel in some ways, like I was like the guinea pig that would then tell them about all the things that can happen with pregnancy and like hemorrhoids was definitely one of them. Like they, it was just so painful that I would get lightheaded when I'd go to the restroom. And I, I think it also comes with that feeling of I'm never going to sleep again. I'm never going to be able to go to the restroom again. Um, and that was hard. And I think the, the other hard part was that um, my daughter just never slept. Um, like just never slept. And when she did sleep, it was contact naps. And she did that up until she was almost two years old. And she still like wakes up in the middle of the night and comes to our bed when she needs to. And it was to the point that I, you know, I was using the apps to track her sleep and I actually had to stop because it was giving me more anxiety um, because, you know, she wasn't sleeping for an hour and a half. Um, and I think that was also hard, but thankfully, because we were able to establish like a nursing relationship, like, you know, I'd just nurse her to bed and she'd, she'd be fine. And it's insane to me how you have to normalize such a natural, like, you know, babies, that's what they do. They fall asleep at the breast. Like, if you give them milk, they'll fall asleep. Um, and having to normalize what's already normal. Um, and, you know, being called like a human pacifier, but I'm like, but I am the original, like the OG human pacifier. Like, this is just the way it's supposed to work. And I think once I stopped really worrying and once I unfollowed those Instagram accounts and I just accepted that this is the way, you know, that it, like this is just how it's supposed to be, I think postpartum got a lot easier. We live in a fix it and gadget society, right? So we're like, there's a problem and we need an answer for it. Rather than it being our bodies and our babies already have many of the answers. And if we allow ourselves to like tap into that and just surrender to what it is and also viewing like babies are human, like they're humans, they're they have their own minds, they have their own personalities. And so we have to treat that as such. Like I needed to be dark and my sound machine on and my weighted blanket in order to sleep. Well, yeah. my baby probably needs X, Y, and Z. And that might be sleeping right underneath me, but that's what they need. And there's ways to like safely do that. Or maybe you do have to nurse your baby to sleep. There's a reason that your baby wants that to happen, right? Yeah. Um, but we live in this very like, baby should be sleeping at this hour. You should be nursing at this time and they should be doing all these things to meet milestones. And it's like, that's just not the reality of like what's happening at 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, It's not. <laughs> yeah. And I think when it got time to, for, you know, to introducing solids, um, my provider was like, oh, like, you know, maybe you should, how many times are you nursing? And I'm like, I literally have no idea. Like I just, I don't know. Like I just nurse. Um, and my daughter really didn't take to solids that well. And he's like, well, you know, maybe you should consider, um, you know, weaning. And I'm, and I think for me, I just, I almost just ignored it. And it got to a point even with the sleep training, because I would just tell him, you know, like, she's just not sleeping. He'd be like, oh, you know, maybe you should sleep train. It got to a point that I would just kind of like lie um, and not even let them know what I was 
doing because I'm like, you're not up with my baby at 5 a.m. when they're crying because they freaking hate their bassinets. Um, like they just she just doesn't like it. And, you know, we my family did end up getting COVID at some point, all three of us when she was like a year and a half. And because we were still nursing, I remember the doctors who had told me to stop breastfeeding were like, oh, you know, just make sure she's hydrated. And I'm like, oh, I'm nursing. They're like, oh, that's great. Keep doing that. And when she was sick, that's the only thing that she would drink or eat was just to nurse. Um, and I think that's also it's also another reason once we established our relationship, why I was kind of glad that we just didn't listen to people that were kind of like, oh, you're still nursing. Um, and that's just what, that's just what we did. And it worked out, um, for both of us until it didn't, cause then I got pregnant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, second baby. <laughs> so you got pregnant again, still in the pandemic, but at least a different part of it. <laughs> yeah. And we thought about it. We, you know, and I, I forgot that with my daughter, we were in the hospital and the custodian was like, what a terrible time to have babies. And I'm like, I literally have like a five hour old baby here. Like that's, I, I don't know. Those are just thoughts you keep in your head and, you know, and just, <laughs> but yes, we ended up having a second pandemic baby. We always knew we wanted more children and we were like, you know, maybe they'll be like a couple years apart. And um, my period actually never, it didn't really come back until maybe like 18 or 19 months later, which was kind of nice. Um, I think that was definitely an upside of nursing. And so right when my daughter was our 18 months, we started trying to have another second child. But like the first one, we we're very lucky and it just happened um, right away. And I think part of the reason why I was also like into this idea of having a second child was because my first pregnancy was so easy. I'm like, it's just going to be this way. Like, it's just going to be nice, no fatigue, no nausea. Like, it's just going to be a nice chill pregnancy. And I don't think I was prepared for the, um, I had just like severe like food aversions that first trimester. I think I was just living off of like Cheerios and Hot Pockets. Um, even drinking water, like gulping water just sounded disgusting. Um, I remember I would just, I'm usually someone who drinks quite a lot of water. Um, but during that time, I would just have like two cups of water that I would basically just sip throughout the day. So I ended up actually getting my first urinary tract infection um, just because I was just on the couch. Um, you know, thankfully I worked from home because of the pandemic, but I would just on the couch, um, brushing my teeth, everything would be like dry heaving. And I'm not sure if it's worse, like having nausea and dry heaving without vomiting. Cause I don't think I ever vomited. It was just like intense dry heaving at that time. Um, and I'm even concerned that Christmas gonna, is going to come up and even like the thinking about the decorations and the smells, I feel like it's going to bring all that back. Um, so that pregnancy didn't start off, I think as well as my other one did. And I think also at the time I was losing a lot of weight um, and I was losing so much weight that I actually ended up going to the doctor and they did run some blood work and see if I, and I think at some point they suspected that I might have lupus, but I, it was just that my body couldn't keep up at least for myself with growing a baby and also nourishing, um, my toddler. And I think, and I know there's some people who can tandem feed beautifully, but I just couldn't. And it's also, you know, at least for me when I'm pregnant, um, just the latch, it just hit different. Like it just it was just more painful for me and I, I just couldn't keep up. So that's at the, at the point where we started um, weaning my daughter. 
And so with that pregnancy, I, once I feel like I got through that first trimester of just trying to survive it, um, I really knew I wanted something different. So I said, I'm just going to steep myself in birth. Like I'm just going to, I'm doing this because that's just also who I am as a person. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. And so one of the first things that I started doing was actually listening to podcast stories. Um, you know, this podcast, the birth hour, birthful, just anything that I can get my hands on. I also started reading a bunch of books, um, you know, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, um, The Birth Partner, Your Natural Hospital Birth. Um, I just wanted to be more prepared and had more confidence and I can do it as opposed to the first time where I was like, I think I'll try it from unmedicated birth because I don't think I fully believed it. Um, I did at one point um, look around and see if a home birth might be possible, but with my insurance, it would be completely out of pocket. And at least in my area, it'd be around $6,000. And we had just you know, purchased our new home. So it really wasn't something that was on the table. So I'm like, okay, it's going to be another hospital birth. Um, I will say that I also went through quite a few different providers before I ended up with mine. And again, I have a large health insurance, so I work through a hospital. So there isn't much like I can do in terms of going to a different practice. But I remember I went through four before I ended up with my midwife. Um, I think the first one was because I had Googled her and she had had like a wedding at a plantation the year prior. And I'm like, it just it just doesn't sit right with me. Um, I just don't think that's someone that makes those kinds of decisions in this time and age. I'm like, I just, I don't think they can see me and I don't think they could provide the care um, for me. And it was interesting when I talked to a woman who's like, why do you want to switch? She's such a good provider. I'm like, well, let me give you the tea. And <laughs> I was like, people need to know. Um, <laughs> And then I did end up meeting with a provider and she was asking for my medical history. And I told her that my mom, you know, she had diabetes and she went on this run about how my mom called, brought diabetes to herself because it was type two diabetes, you know, she's eating all these unhealthy foods. And I remember telling her like, you know, I have a master's in public health and yes, that's a factor, but there are so many others. And it just, it didn't sit right with me that it was going to show up to appointment and someone was going to try to lecture me or talk about my mom where I'm like, this is an appointment for myself, not my mom and not judging my mom on her decisions. Um, and then the third provider talk, tried talking to me about birth control at 20 weeks pregnant. And I'm like, how about we talk about mental health, breastfeeding? Why are we talking about birth control when that is like the furthest thing from my mind? Um because I knew just from last time, you know, I had an okay provider, nothing stellar, but I really wanted to focus on having a good birth team with me, even if it wasn't someone that I could um, hand choose because of my insurance. And I ended up finding actually a midwife through the hospital system who was just amazing. And I'm so glad I went through all those providers because I think my pregnancy could have unfolded very differently if I hadn't. Because um, at one point I did have placenta previa. And so she was really good about saying, you know, it's you actually had an anatomy scan at 13 weeks, which she's like, a lot of people might have placenta previa because, you know, your uterus is small, it hasn't grown, it, it might eventually go away. And thankfully it did. Um, and during those anatomy scans, they also found other things that are eventually cleared through fetal maternal, fetal and maternal medicine. But I think I remember at the time feeling like 
I couldn't trust my body. And that was one thing that I really wanted to build with this pregnancy was just trusting my body. But all these things kept coming up that kept telling me that I couldn't. Um, because I had wanted to work with a doula, but I'm like, I don't want to, you know, book someone if I'm eventually going to end up having a C-section. But thankfully at around 24 weeks, um, that was cleared. And I had asked for an anatomy scan at 24 weeks because I think otherwise I would have pushed it to around 28 weeks. But I'm just, I'm someone who I knew I just couldn't live with the what if. And I told him, is it possible for me to come in at 24 weeks as opposed to wait the full 28 weeks? Um, so I did find a doula that I felt like I had connected with. Um, and then around, I think the 32 week mark, when they have you, um, go in for the gestational diabetes test, I did the first one, which was the hour one and I didn't pass. Um, and I was like, that can't be right. I really was convinced that like someone had switched up the labs because I'm a pretty healthy person. Um, you know, I don't eat healthy all the time, but most of the time I, work out. I've been healthy my whole life, don't have any like chronic health conditions or anything like that. My mom and my one of my older sisters had had gestational diabetes, but I just couldn't believe that that was me and those were my results. And so the next day was a Saturday. I did the three-hour one and I didn't pass. Like it was, I think, 190 the whole, the whole time. And I remember just being so devastated. And so frustrated because I'm like, I had this idea that this was going to be the birth. Like we're going to, you know, come back. I'm going to have my epidural free, my epidural free birth unmedicated. And it just felt like something else had come up because when you Google gestational diabetes, all you see is all the bad things that can happen. Um, you know, too much amniotic fluid, um, stillbirth and all of that. And so I gave myself that weekend. I'm like, I'm going to throw myself a pity party this weekend. Um, I did order a book by Lily Nichols, which is, I think it's like real food for gestational diabetes. And I'm like, that's going to come on Monday, but this weekend I'm just going to be sad that I have this diagnosis. And I think the worst part about just di gestational diabetes is just the fear. And I mentioned before that I'm scared of needles. And so with gestational diabetes, you have to prick yourself fasting after breakfast, after lunch and after dinner. So that's four times. So for someone who's like needle averse, that was probably the worst part. And um, on Monday, the hospital called me and they're like, Yo, you know, you need to come pick up your testing kit. And I just couldn't believe that that was it. Like no one called me. No one was going to show me how to use this machine. I ended up going on YouTube. Um, I actually ended up calling and I was like, you know, isn't my doctor going to call me to talk how this might or might not affect my pregnancy or what's going to go on? And I think they were really hesitant, but eventually I was able to get an appointment with a different provider who was just able to break it down for me what this could mean. And I just couldn't believe that they would just kind of like send me off without any resources. So I remember on our, I think it was our like 13 or 14 year anniversary, like that's how me and my husband spent our first morning. Like he actually had to do the test for me because I just couldn't bring myself um, to do it. And during that time, I think the hardest part was trying to figure out what I could eat and what I couldn't eat, but it was more of like the amounts. Because um, when you have gestational diabetes, you know, you can't even fruit, like you really can't have that much fruit. It's very minimal, the fruit that you can have. And typically they recommend not eating fruit for breakfast. And so I, and again, like no one called me to offer me any sort of resources in terms of, you know, what does a proper meal plan look like. And so I went on Instagram and I found this um, dietitian actually from New Zealand who just posts a lot of free content. Um, 
and even to that it's like different kinds of foods for like different cultures and like how you can eat and just giving examples of what I could eat and so throughout my pregnancy I was able to maintain a pretty healthy um, my blood sugar was always controlled through exercise and and what I ate but I will say that something about gestational diabetes and tracking your carbs it almost feels like having a little bit of a eating disorder I I'm not used to tracking my carbs that closely. Like I remember packing my lunch to family events, you know, going out to eat. Sometimes I would end up in tears because you, you, it literally feels like you can't eat anything. And then having to control it um, that closely, I think that was, that was hard and not a way that I, I typically like to eat a little bit more intuitively. And it almost felt like saying no to that and just having to be really careful about eating. Um, and I think the way that gestational diabetes also affected my pregnancy was I had quite a few moments where I thought my baby had died. Like I remember waking up in the middle of the night and doing kick counts because that's something that, you know, it's on the, we ended up getting like, eventually I was able to get some sort of like slide deck presentation with some education materials. And that was one of them. Um, so I think it was just harder, but I tried to lean into the things that I could control. And I also had a conversation with my husband. I was like, you know, this time, like, I want you with me. If I'm on the floor, I want you to be on the floor with me. Like, I just want to feel like it's something that we're doing together. Because um, I think also I tend to be someone that when I'm having a hard day, I kind of like to be by myself. But what was interesting about pregnancy was like I actually, or labor was with my last time, I was like, I just wanted someone with me. I'm like, I need a coach and we need to do this together. Um, and so that's, that's how that pregnancy went. I also will say that, um, I had, it felt like shin splints. Um, but it, I, my legs were just so, it was just so painful. Cause I also have a history of like varicose veins through my mom, um, that I ended up having to wear compression socks my whole pregnancy. And that's when I actually used the belly bands. Cause it was also getting a little bit more painful to walk. Um, which was totally unexpected because, like I said, my first pregnancy was like easy breezy, like I could be pregnant forever. And this one just really caught me off guard in terms of how it felt. Because um, I think I also had, you know, I had a toddler, um, whereas this, the first time I I could just focus on me. I could just take care of me. I could exercise whenever I wanted. And that was one of the upsides of gestational diabetes that it really forced me to pay attention to making sure that I was eating, you know, three meals, three snacks. That gestational diabetes information was just shameful. I mean, as much that goes into like the financial end of our health insurance, the health industry, like there's no reason why you shouldn't need to Google, look to Instagram or anything like that for that type of information. Um, it's disappointing. And it's, I, I think it's a common experience too, because no one even says how to prepare for the test either. Like there's no, there's mm -hmm. nothing before or after. It's just kind of like, okay, now you have to check yourself all the time. And I think that even like you said, like you can admit to having those aversions, like two needles and doing all that, but doing that four times a day for anyone is unnerving. It's one of those things that people are dreading to do. And eventually some people just stop doing or they don't do it like they're supposed to. Um, and, and to have the education around it prior to you even taking the test, I think it's 
it's just kind of like here you're going to get this this drink or you can do it all the different ways the jelly beans all the different ways that people do it but there's never information like if you eat x y and z before you take this test then you might have some challenges and so then you've got this thought in your head like hey x y and z might not be the best things for me in terms of how my body produces or um even breaks down sugars and carbs and different things like that. I think there's just not enough of the nutrition piece in our general health education, um, let alone when you're going into pregnancy. It's just kind of like, eat a nutritious meal. Okay. <laughs> like, like, and why give me the label without giving me the education first or even seeing what my body actually does? Like, yeah. maybe we do the test and see what your body does. And then, you know, we'll see not just doing, then we give you this education. Hey, your body does this when you ate that. Like, what did you eat the night before you took this test? You know, um, and I know it's nice that they do give you a second chance, but it's still nothing in between that. You still aren't getting any education in between. You're just giving giving me a second chance. And it's not yeah. really explaining what's going on with my body. Yeah. And I think I was also embarrassed when I got the diagnosis because I'm like, was it those 13 weeks that I was just on the couch just like trying to survive? And I know something that um, this woman, Robin Compton, who Instagram I ended up following. She's like, you know, you can't eat your way into the, this diagnosis. And I think that was really helpful for me. And for a long time, I actually didn't even tell the people around me. Um, you know, I would just kind of test my blood sugar in the bathroom. I would eat beforehand. Um, and I just wasn't telling anyone because I was just so ashamed. And when I did tell people, they're like, oh, you must have had a lot of dessert or like, oh, so does that mean like you can go on a keto diet? I'm like, you know, I need, like, we need to eat carbs. Like carbs are not bad. Um, and I can still eat carbs. It's just a lot in a lot smaller amounts. Um, and I think it was also good for me, like, you know, in terms of like pairing foods, like I've, even now I'm still a little bit more conscious about it because they say that gestational diabetes is one of the strongest markers that they have that you might develop, um, you know, type two diabetes, I think within the five years from when you had it. Um, and with my family history of diabetes, I think for me, that was just, I, even now I still kind of try to eat a little bit of that gestational diabetes diet because of it. I'm like, this is probably the way I should have been eating the whole time. Um, but it was just hard. And I remember once I, I was feeling so overwhelmed by it in my personal life. And I ended up making a post about it on Instagram, which I usually don't share this kind of stuff, but I was just feeling so overwhelmed by it. Um, and just walking people through what it felt like, you know, what it required. And thankfully, like I, you know, I was able to work from home. I, you know, my kitchen is right here. I didn't have to pack lunches. I can't imagine like if you're working a job that doesn't have any breaks, doesn't have any proper meal breaks that you're not being compensated properly to be able to afford the food so that you could have a gestational diabetes friendly diet. Um, and I ended up getting quite a few messages from other friends who had been pregnant who were like, I had gestational diabetes. And it just, I think, speaks to just the shame that people, you know, no one wants to talk about it um, because there's this shame of, you know, you did this to yourself when that's just, that's, that's not how it works. Um, and we don't get to choose the things that happen to us sometimes. Elizabeth, tell us about the birth. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, so I mentioned that I had a doula and we had met a couple of times um, 
And towards the end of my pregnancy, actually, my father-in-law ended up getting really sick. And it was, you know, I had taken time away from work. I had just started a new job and I was like, you know, I'm going to be able to relax. But when my father-in-law got sick, my husband just spending, ended up spending quite a bit of time during the hospital. And usually my mother-in-law would watch my daughter, but um, then I was watching her and everyone was just at the hospital because we, for a minute, we it was just touch and go. And we didn't know if he wasn't going to be able to pull through. So it was a lot more stressful than I had anticipated. And so like every night, I also was in a deep, deep nesting mode. Um, like I would go to sleep at night and it was just like exhaustion. There was the pregnancy exhaustion, but there was just like, I was just doing too much. Um, and so I, and I had definitely, I had heard beforehand that if you don't relax, like, you know, your body's not gonna let you go into labor if it doesn't feel like you can relax. Um, but I remember I had a to-do list and one of the last things on my to-do list was to make curtains. Like I was going to make these, this Ikea curtain hack in my back, um, in the family room. And so the night before I remember I was just like ironing, hanging curtains, steaming them. I went to sleep late that night. Um, and I actually had a pretty bit of a restless night. Like I wasn't sleeping. I felt like I was just tossing and turning, but for whatever reason, I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay in bed. Um, and so 7am came around and I, I had, it just felt like I was getting my period and I'm like, Ooh, I know this feeling. And so I went to the restroom and like, sure enough, there was a little bit of bloody show. So I got back into bed and I texted my doula. I'm like, I think, you know, labor started. And I, it was a lot different than the first time. Cause I felt more, I was like excited, but I was like, okay, I'm going to try to stay in bed. Eventually my husband came into the room because he had woken up with our toddler. And I told him, you know, baby's either going to come today or tomorrow. Because in my mind, I still had that like 27 hour labor. Um, and so I just, eventually I got out of bed. You know, we were preparing breakfast for my daughter. And because of the gestational diabetes, it was something that I discussed with my midwife. You know, I'm worried about, you know, what could happen that day if, you know, for let's say my blood sugar is off. And she said, well, you know, just try to like eat, you know, protein, um, you know, try to remain hydrated. And I think that was something else that was that how gestational diabetes affected my labor and that like, you know, with my first labor, I didn't have to think about the kinds of foods that I'd eat. I just kind of ate what I could. But this time I really focused on like trying to eat well during labor so that nothing would come up once I got to the hospital. So they wouldn't want to hook me up to anything or give me anything. Um, so I woke up, I remember I just ate like eggs, bacon, and I was having contractions. Um, and this time what I was doing differently was I was um, making these like low moaning noises because um, I felt that with my first labor, I didn't really use any of the tools that I had and it worked. Like I was shocked at how well it worked. It literally felt like my contractions whenever I would make these low groans it was almost a little bit like mooing like they would just like melt like butter um and I remember I was actually at the front of our house you know getting breakfast ready with our toddler and I would sort of um you know hold on to the counter and then I'd be back to normal doing things and my husband was just like you're he's like the way you're changing from like having a contraction to not is just like he's like that's a little crazy and I remember my daughter was at one point she was just watching me like what, are, what is mommy doing um, and I remember I told her, I was like, I'm just pretending to be a cow because I was just like mooing. Um, and eventually I felt like I needed my space. And I so I went back to our back room, you know, I closed the blind. Um, I had gotten some combs because I, I had heard that that worked really well for people. And I tried the combs, but that didn't work. 
Um, and eventually what I did was I had also purchased an eye mask. So I just put on my eye mask and I would just move through the contractions. And eventually I got on the floor and I was just moving through contractions again. And at some point I told my husband, you know, I think it's time for my daughter to get picked up. And because my father-in-law was in the hospital, we didn't really know where my daughter would end up going. And thankfully it was a weekend. So my sister-in-law was able to pick her up. Um, we kept in contact with the doula, sort of um, sending her, you know, like a screenshot of my contractions. Um, and at some point I was like, you know, I feel like I need to rest. So I got on the bed. Um, I had my, you know, my pregnancy pillow. I put on a show, but I only got through like 10 minutes because after those 10 minutes, um, it really felt like the contractions were coming back to back. And it was no longer just like a up and a down. It felt like it was going up and down and it would start again. And so I got out of bed and... I think at that point, the doula was like, oh, you know, do you feel nauseous or anything like that? And my husband was communicating with her and I said, you know, I don't feel nauseous. Um, so I got on the floor for a bit. And so this was maybe around like noon. Um, I went to the restroom and I started feeling kind of like nauseous, kind of shaky. Um, and my husband had been helping me count the contractions this time. Like he really listened when I told him, like, I want you to be there with me. And that was really helpful. But I... I got out and I told him, I was like, I think I'm in transition. Um, just from hearing like all the different birth stories, um, I'm like, this, I think I'm in transition. And so we, I told him, I'm like, I'm starting to feel like this level of pain is kind of like the level of pain that I was at with our first daughter. Um, and so I start, I did start getting a little bit scared because I'm like, I've, it's either I'm in transition or these contractions are getting really strong. And I don't know if I can do this for in my head. I still had 27 hours because it had only been five hours. And so I'm like, am I that far along or am I just like not able to handle them? So at some point I told him, you know, I think we need to, he had told the doula, like, I think you need to come. But because my contractions were sort of coming back to back, we decided to go to the hospital instead. And so I threw something on and I remembered to grab a snack because I hadn't eaten since the morning. And with the gestational diabetes, like I needed to make sure that I was eating and my blood sugar wasn't too low. Um, so we got a snack, we got in the car and I still had on my eye mask. And so every time I'd have a contraction, I would just pull my eye mask down. My husband was playing, you know, my my Spotify playlist that I had made. And that's also another way that I prepared for birth. Um, I had made a Spotify playlist and any time in my day that I was stressed, like I would just play my playlist. It was almost like I was conditioning myself um, to have that connection for me. And so he would play my music. I had my eye mask um, and the hospital wasn't super close. I mean, it, it was only maybe like 12 miles away, but because where, of where we live, it's like a 30 minute drive. And so we drove to the hospital and I told him, I was like, I don't want him, I don't want them to turn me away because I don't want to do this drive again. Cause having contract, like being in active labor, um, and what I now know is like in transition while you're in a car is like zero out of 10, like would not recommend, like it is just awful. Like you just feel like there's nowhere to go, nowhere. Like the last thing you want to be doing is just like sitting in a car, um, so we got down and I remember there was a security um, person like in the front desk because at that point they were doing COVID screenings before you walked in. And he just looked at me and I still had my eye mask. I would take it on and off. And he just looked at me and he told my husband, like, she looks like she's in distress. And so he just um, waved us into the elevator. And I remember pausing 
um, in the hallway before we got to the triage and a nurse just came out and she put us in a triage room. Um, and so she put us in the triage room and my help, my husband helped me, you know, get dressed into the gown and I hopped on the bed in all fours and I still had my eye mask on and it felt like she took a while and I'm not sure if maybe I was handling my contractions well. Um, but it wasn't like an immediate assessment. I feel like she was gone for like 10, 15 minutes until I was started to get louder because um, they were just getting a lot more painful. And so she came in and she wanted to take, I think, like blood pressure. And she's like, oh, I was on all fours on the bed. And she's like, you know, can you turn on your back? And I was like, do I have to? Because um, it was just like I like it was to a point where like I couldn't move. Um, I didn't feel like I could move, like I wasn't comfortable being on my back. Um, but she's like, no, like I need you to be on all four, you know, be on your back so I can check you. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, and even that difference of like me asking, um, me pushing back a little bit, I feel like is what made the difference in this birth. Like I just felt more like I was there, like I was in birthing, like my own birthing bubble, but I was also just saying the things that I wanted to do, the things that I liked, the things that I didn't like. And I think that really made a difference for myself. And she checked me and I still had my ad mask on and she's like, you're complete. And I'm like, what? Like I, I, I was just like in shock because here I was, I thought I was going to be turned away. And she's like, you're complete. And before I knew it, they were like um, wheeling me into a room and eventually transfer me onto a bed. Um, and so I couldn't see anything because, again, I just had my eye mask on. Um, and I don't think I did that on purpose. I think it's just something that ended up working well. And I, and because I think the environment was so overwhelming the first time, it just worked. So like to not see. And I think what was also helpful about it is because when people can't see your eyes, they can't ask you questions. And so a lot of the questions were actually being directed towards my husband. Um, so I could hear in the back that he was, you know, talking to the doctor when she came in letting him know, letting her know the birth plan. He like put on my playlist because there was a point where I was just starting to get really scared. And even the nurse was like, oh, that really calmed her down. Like just hearing the music that I'd been listening to over these past nine to 10 months. Um, the doctor came in, she checked me. I was still on all fours and they were trying to get the hep block in. And she said, you know, you actually are nine and a half centimeters with a cervical lip. Do you want me to break your water? And so I... Again, I, I was still there and still present enough to say, you know, all the all the podcasts, the birth stories that I've listened to, all the midwives that I've talked that said, if you're going to get your water broken, it definitely is at like nine and a half centimeters. And so they broke my water and that was at around 119 and around 130, I started feeling like I needed to push just like this immense pressure. Um, and it was a little bit frightening because with my other daughter, I definitely felt cheated after that five or six centimeters like I just couldn't feel anything but this time I was feeling everything and I think I did start getting a little bit scared and I told my husband um, I was pushing and I think people were just doing other things around me but no one was touching me so I remember screaming like I like help me like help me like somebody help me and the way I described that it felt like you know you're running through a dark hall and you're just like knocking on doors and no one's opening the door um, like it just I felt so desperate for help because I had also um, was thinking about the three hours that it took to push my daughter the first time around. Um, so it's so hard to disassociate your experience um, and be completely present because in my head, I'm like, we're just getting started. Like I could be pushing for three hours. 
And so I started pushing and I did, I think I, I started screaming, like I was screaming like the movies. Like I think people would, could probably hear me down the hall. Um, and eventually I felt a ring of fire, which wasn't as bad as I think it was made out to be. I remember it just being very, very slight. And eventually my daughter was born 19 minutes later. Like she just, she just was born and they, and I had had my eye mask on the whole time and I didn't remove it until she was placed on my, on my chest. And I just remember feeling so just like triumphant and just like champion. Like I just won a Grammy and Oscar. Like I just felt like I did this. And it was just such a different feeling. Like I was just, when I was shocked that like, you know, I wasn't even in the hospital for an hour. Like she was just born so quickly. Um, and I just couldn't believe that I did it. And, you know, people always say like, there's no medals for having an unmedicated labor, but I think they're totally like, they're like the rewards there, there is a reward. Cause I just felt so good. Like, I remember I was laughing. I was like, you know, telling jokes, like chatting it up with the nurses. Like, I just felt so good. Cause I had accomplished this thing that I'd been wanting to, um, and then they did place her on my chest, but at one point, I think the doctor suspected that I might be hemorrhaging. Um, so they wanted to do a cervical exam. And that is the only time that I did get some medication because I had I had told her, you know, I don't want to take anything, but go ahead and try. But, you know, when she put her hand inside, I was like, nope, like we need some medication for a cervical exam right after I had given birth. It ended up not being a thing. And actually, when a doctor later came in, she's like, oh, you actually like you bled um like not very much actually so i'm not sure what happened there um and my doula actually she had missed the whole birth because i think she had gone in, into a fender bender so she had showed up like when it was all over i think at some point she was texting my husband um but when she walked in the room like baby was already on chest and they were doing all the questions that they would normally do at the beginning of you know of triage um and it was just I just felt amazing. But I think again, with the whole breastfeeding, I was, breastfeeding was still painful. A lactation consultant, actually the same lactation consultant that told me everything was fine, came in with my daughter, but I didn't, because of what had happened the first time, you know, in terms of like them not diagnosing that she had a tongue and lip tie. Um, I ended up going to a pediatric dentist right away. Like I think my daughter was only two days born just to rule that out. Um, and this time I did end up I did end up um, doing a little bit of triple feeding, but it was only for a few days until my supply came in. And it was just, even postpartum healing was so much better. I just felt like myself um, a lot sooner. Um, I actually felt like myself too soon that I needed to um, slow down a bit. Um, but it was just, it was, I feel like a night and day birthing experience. And even when I talk about my first birth experience, sometimes people will ask me, you know, did you, you know, was, did you have a C-section or why are you talking about it this way? Because they can't imagine that even though I had a vaginal delivery, it just didn't go the way I wanted it to. Um, and so I feel like this birth experience was a much better like birthing experience. Um, and even with nursing, and I think because I had, um, you know, done the whole triple feeding the first time, you know, this time I knew how to use a pump. And even when I went back to the lactation consultant, because I suspected that my daughter might have, 
a tongue tie, or I think she did end up losing like a little bit more weight than they wanted her to. Um, the lactation consultant actually remembered me all those years later. Um, and I told, and it was validating to, to some point because she's like, I remember like you worked really hard the first time. Um, and so this time I wanted like a different nursing experience and thankfully there was no tongue or lip ties, but it was, and once I got over that, um, I did pump for a little bit, but this time I knew my body to know like, okay, like I can stop pumping now. Like, I think we've got it in my supply. Um, even though it takes a little while to come in, like we established breastfeeding, um, right away. And I think it was just a much better experience because of me being able to advocate for myself and with gestational diabetes, you know, her blood sugars were always fine. Cause when the baby is born with, if you have gestational diabetes, they have to test them like on, on a certain schedule. And she was like, finally here healthy. She was actually eight pounds, um, 10, 10 ounces or seven ounces. And I'm a pretty small person. So she was like a good, a good healthy size. I just felt so, so proud of me, of myself. And I think it was actually a good thing that the doula didn't end up making the birth because I think it really affirmed that I didn't need, like I could do this. You know, I think it would have been helpful if she would have been there, but I think it was just affirming that like I could do this by myself. Um, I have everything that I need. You know, I grew this baby, like I can birth this baby. Um, so it ended up just being a much better experience. And, you know, now I'm like a more seasoned mom. So like the sleep doesn't really bother me as much. And I also now firmly believe in just like temperaments. Like my daughter, like, you know, she actually had that newborn sleep where she slept in some places. You know, sometimes she does fall asleep in her bassinet. Like sometimes she wants to contact nap. I think I'm just a little bit more able to like turn off all that background noise of all the things that I'm supposed to be doing with the baby and just kind of do what works for me and what works for us. Um, and with the pandemic sort of, I mean, we're still in the pandemic I and mean, COVID is still a thing, but in many ways I still feel like a new mom in that I, you know, beforehand didn't have the experience of going out with my newborn to a grocery store um, or being just out in the world with my baby. You know, our we didn't really use our stroller. We didn't really use our carrier. So there's still some things that I'm learning now to do as a second time mom that I just didn't get to do. And it's just been a little bit nicer to have, um, you know, some family come over and help. And also now there's quite a few of my friends who like have become moms since I became a mom. And it's just a lot easier to share, you know, that experience or just have text group, text message groups and just say like, this is what's going on with my baby. This is what's going on with my baby. Like, is this normal? Um, and so it just feels a little bit different. It feels a little lighter. Um, um, I still had postpartum hemorrhoids and a really like odd, I think, symptom or a side effect that I had from giving birth was I experienced like some joint pain and I never experienced joint pain beforehand during pregnancy, but this time I did just in case anyone else, um, that comes up anyone else's pregnancy, but it was just, it, I don't, this was just like the experience that I wanted. Um, and I'm just so glad that I stuck to it. And I think something else that I did differently was I actually didn't tell people what I was planning. Um, there was people that didn't know that I had hired a doula. There was people that didn't know that I was wanting an unmedicated birth because I just didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear people. I didn't want to open myself up to people's opinions um, or what they had to say. And I think that was helpful 
Um, and it wasn't until later that I, you know, I told them like, oh, you know, I did an unmedicated birth. Um, but, and that's why I'm so thankful for this platform is I haven't been able to share my story that with that many people. And I know the difference that it can make. And I, that's why I'm so thankful for your time, for listening to me and all my ramblings of my births. <laughs> we are incredibly oh. grateful. Um, I like felt myself as you were talking about your birth, like smiling so hard, like she's about to do it. She's about to do it. <laughs> you did that. <laughs> oh, but just, you know, the work that you put in for yourself. Um, and even just like, as soon as you said, like, I kept my, my, my blind blindfold no i'm a blindfold. blindfold oh my i <laughs> <laughs> mask on i was like oh that's gonna be perfect for like setting her up for when she gets into the hospital you know just thinking about and you know you're like it wasn't on purpose but it worked um and it was you were able to get your space to stay like within yourself because you're right like people had to direct their questions to your direct your questions to your husband to allow you to stay in the zone. And like we talk about, I mean, you know, like when you do transition from home to hospital that you have to allow yourself that space to set, to recenter because it's different. And you were really able to do that this time around. Um, And I, like you said, it just let you tune out all the noise and just do to do it. Um, And we are just like, there's just so much that, um, our community of listeners are going to get not only being able to hear your story because that is, that's the award. Like, yes, we giving you all your awards, all your flowers for all that you did. Um, But that they're going to be able to take away some really great things for their own journey um, from your share. And we're just, we're just grateful that you were able to do that today. No, thank you. I think especially with gestational diabetes, um, when I got that diagnosis, I was really, just frantically searching for stories of people who had gestational diabetes and they and their baby were okay. Cause that is definitely like, was a fear of mine that like, I might not be okay. My my baby might not be okay. And some of those stories that I, I was able to find, like brought me a lot of peace. And I was like, yes, it's possible. And you know, something that my midwife mentioned to me was, you know, parents who have gestational diabetes are actually end up being a little bit healthier because they're, they have to be, and they usually are a little bit more mindful about what they're eating and how they're moving their bodies. And she's like, that's, um, cause in my mind, I was like, you know, they're going to try to medicalize my birth. I'm not going to be able to do this and that. She's like, you're actually a little in a, a little bit of a healthier space than some of my other parents, just because of all the thinking that you have to do and what you put into your body. Even with everything that you gave us, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners, whether it be from your birth, advice, resources, just anything else that you want to leave them with? Yeah, I think something that's been important for me for both journeys is seeing a pelvic floor therapist. Um, In both journeys, I think I'd had minor ab separation, but I really pushed my um, provider both times to be like, you know, I need to see somebody. Like someone needs to check me and make sure that like I'm okay and I had actually ha- asked um, my physical therapist, you know, is there is it possible to give birth and not need any sort of pelvic floor help? And she's like, that's re- that's unlikely. Um, so I highly recommend if everyone, if anyone has the resources to do so, to ask for that referral, to go see a pelvic floor therapist, because sometimes doing Kegels can be more harmful than helpful. 
um, because there's things such as, you know, pelvic floor tightness and you can actually be causing a lot more harm. Um, so I highly recommend that anyone goes to get assessed and, you know, if, if you've had any tears during labor, they can also help with like um, working out that scar tissue um, and just to make sure that like you're working on your pelvic floor. I think it's just so, so important. Um, and having a lactation consultant on speed dial, even beforehand, you know, before I gave birth a second time with my breastfeeding journey, I'd actually talked to a lactation consultant that my doula had hooked me up with just to set up a game plan. Um, you know, when I should ask for help, um, you know, things that I should plan for or not. And I think that is always helpful because when you're in it, um, you just want to be able to have someone that you can call and can be at your house um, right away. And I feel like, again, like birth stories really, really helped me. Um, all the podcasts, listening to all the birth stories, I will say that like storytelling was the biggest way that I educated myself this time in terms of just like normalizing all the different variations that pregnancy and labor can unfold. Um, and just, and I think that also just brought me a lot of peace and a lot of knowledge and knowing that there's so many other people that have given birth and people that have given birth with gestational diabetes and they were just fine. Um, so I think really steeping yourself in that as well. And if you have gestational diabetes, um, the Instagram account that I followed that was really helpful was gestational diabetes underscore dietitian. And it's run by, again, a New Zealand dietitian named Robin Compton. And that was just like free resource. You know, you don't have to buy anyone's program um, in order to get ideas of like what you can eat while you have gestational diabetes. And I think lastly, it's just, you know, with doctors, especially with predicting your baby's weight, um, I didn't mention this, but with my first daughter, you know, they had suspected intrauterine growth restriction because they thought my daughter might be um, under five pounds. She was actually born at six pounds, 10 ounces. So I think it just goes to show that like those things can be way off. Um, and I feel like people all, or providers sometimes try to scare you into, you know, you might have a a baby that's too big. But now I think I'm hearing a lot of more conversation on also like your baby might be too small. And those tests are just so off and can be so off. Um, and so sometimes it's just, you know, you're going to get a lot of information from your providers and from the people around you. But ultimately, it's just taking what works for you and then like leaving, leaving the rest and trying to tap into your intuition, which I think is all about what being a parent is. You know, it's just doing what feels right for you, for your family, and just going with it and figuring it out along the way. All of it. Yeah. We receive all of it. We're going to link everything. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.